As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss issues and trends in child development, education, and parenting. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and today I talk with our executive editor, Ann Gadzikowski, about the importance of play during a pandemic. play. There's so much that kids do with regards to play. And I'm trying to remember back to how I used to play or even what my first memories were. And I had the hardest time trying to think back, like what were my earliest memories of play? Did you have a hard time or were you kind of like, oh, I know I remember this memory? I think it's hard to remember because play is so natural. You know, we played so easily when we were young. Those experiences didn't jump out at us. But I do have some really vivid memories of playing with my best friend when I was probably around four years old. I remember pretending that we were puppies and kittens and we would crawl around on the floor. And what strikes me about this memory is that we took so much pleasure in imagining the terrible suffering of these poor stray puppies and kittens. We would pretend that we'd been abandoned, that we were orphans, that we had broken legs, we had broken tails, we were blind, oh. we were dying. We like we <laughs> everything horrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was. It was, but it was so much fun. Uh-huh. And of course, we were always rescued in the end. We always came back alive again in the end. But that was one of our favorite things to do would be to pretend we were suffering puppies and kittens. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. I definitely did not play like that. I I had three, well, I have three sisters, but I grew up with two older sisters. So we, we played a lot as a group and, you know, we would kind of play that we were some sort of like band of people and trying to go through adventures. And of course I would always get the, the runt of whatever imaginary person or kind of role I had to be. And then the other thing I can remember is just I was such a active child and and needed to be out in nature. So I was constantly playing with dirt and plants and pulling the berries off of plants and kind of making a little potion and seeing what that made. (laughs) I would, oh, I would play with toads and like rescue them. And I would kind of keep them in a little bucket with like sand and be like, this is your new habitat. (laughs) 
all, all of my memories that are coming back involve a lot of outdoor, a lot of tactile type things. I mean, it, it was so fun trying to think back. Um, and it still is. I'm still picturing a lot of my childhood play memories. I mean, it seems like almost a silly question, but I mean, why, why do children play? Well, again, it's such a natural thing. I think that's almost like asking, why do children breathe? Because they're going to do it no matter what. And it's essential. It's essential to being a child, to growing and learning. Everybody plays. Every child plays in one way or another. Mm -hmm. The psychologist Alison Gopnik has my favorite play quote. And she, in her book, um, The Gardener and the Carpenter, she defines play as play is what you do when you're not trying to do anything. So I love that definition of play as being so free that there's no goal in mind. And it's something that you choose to do. It's not something that somebody's making you do. Because I remember too, my parents saying, go play, go out and play. And that never worked. (laughs) You know, if they were telling us to do it, then we wouldn't do it. But if it it was something freely chosen by the child, Mm -hmm. then that's true play. Yeah. If my parents would tell me to go play, I wasn't as interested, but anytime maybe play wasn't the right thing to do in the moment, I was doing it. You know, my my straw and my glass of milk was like a whole volcanic explosion and that, we're eating dinner, maybe not the best time. <laughs> but I, I love I love this quote also. And the reason it resonates most with me is I mentioned earlier, I have three sisters um, and one is younger and she's quite a, quite a few years younger than I am. And so I had so many opportunities in it later in my life in middle school and high high school to still tap into that childhood play because I had to play with her and I had to kind of reinvent different things that she wanted to play and how she experienced. And then it's continued because now I have a niece who is six years old and she and I are very close, even though she lives in um, another state down South, but we, we are doing something very different right now in terms of play. And this kind of was something that we did before the pandemic, but you know, it kind of really showcases how different play is now because something that she and I are doing is now we're having a FaceTime date. So every week she and I get on the like a FaceTime or whatever video app she wants to use that time and we will just play and it can range from she likes to (laughs) pretend to burn me on the kitchen stove that she has her little (laughs) kids play kitchen so she'll take the phone and then she'll be like aunt elizabeth you're getting burned and then she'll put me under cold water and then lately she has been showing me all these different tricks that she does so cartwheels and dancing and i have to be an announcer and i have to you know introduce her to the crowd. And (laughs) so it's very interesting, but you know, I'm sure we're not the only ones because I mean, how, how have you seen in not only your life, but in your research of how play is different now, because it, it has to be in this pandemic world. And I'm sure very similar situations are happening where it's on video. Well, I think the the broad strokes of play are always going to be the same, that there are certain kinds of play that every child experiences, that pretend play, building things out of sticks or blocks or cardboard, you know, mud pies and those that kind of messy play. Like every child is always going to have that kind of play. But I think right now when children and families are under stress, 
us. And even if the children aren't that much aware of what's going on out in the world, everybody knows that it's different. Something different is happening. We're not going to school. The children are not going to school. Um, Parents might be worried if there's an issue with their employment or finances. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a scary time. So the stress is going to affect children's play the stress also makes play more important. And you make a good point because isn't it isn't it true that especially during times of stress, children react very, very differently. We are able to express how we feel and in um, very clear ways of I'm feeling very anxious today. And for kids, that's not how they do it. So I mean, play is even more important. And that could also be their way of coping and handling their stress that they're feeling is to I need to go play or like, this is what I'm going to do now. Yes, exactly. So they're, they might not have the language to tell us what they're thinking and they're feeling, but they can demonstrate how they're feeling through play. They can explore how they're feeling through play. So a lot of that happens through pretend play. So let's talk about pretending and what typically happens. And we're mostly talking about children between the ages of around two up to say eight or nine. That's kind of the age range where we see a lot of pretend play, what early childhood educators call dramatic play. Oh, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Dramatically. So, so the pretending. So I've been hearing from childcare professionals who are operating emergency childcare programs right now for the children of essential workers. And one of the things that they're saying is that children are doing a lot more pretend hospital play, which is not surprising, even if their parents don't work in a hospital. There are a lot of baby dolls who have fevers right now, teddy bears with fevers right now. Um, So this whole idea of being sick and taking care of people who are sick, that that's a really prevalent theme in children's play. And that's a good thing. That's really normal because if children are hearing and seeing things that are worrying them or frightening them, then it's really good for them to play it out in their pretend play. Well, yeah, because it's a way for them to process what is going on around them. But I think it's also important that a lot of I'm assuming a lot of the play that they're doing. So if the teddy bear has a fever or is sick, it gets better. And I think that's very important to kind of reinforce to kids who may not be understanding what's going on is that, you know, anyone who gets sick will get better. Yes. So if children let us into their play, that's one of the productive things that we as parents and caregivers can do. If a child brings their baby doll to me and says, you know, my baby's not feeling well, she has a fever, then I can say, we're going to help her get better. That's that's our job. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, is that sometimes, of course, the children are in charge of the play and they want it to go where they want it to go. And sometimes children will play like with me and my puppies and kittens when I was a little girl, we'll play with suffering and play with death in ways that adults might be uncomfortable with. Yeah. What if that little girl is playing with a baby doll and she says, oh, my baby doll's dying or my baby doll's dead. That can be really scary for a parent to hear. And the child may look scared or maybe not. They may even smile or laugh because they're in charge of it and they're playing with these different ideas. And it's not strange or odd for a child to include death in their pretend play because it doesn't 
mean the same thing to them. They're still figuring out these concepts. I'm still figuring out these concepts. Mm -hmm. You know, death is a huge concept. And so when children pretend that they are dying, you know, you see kids on the playgrounds, like, you know, you're dead, I'm dead, and they'll fall down and then they'll get right back up again. That's really normal. That's very normal. I think it's it's important to allow children to play that way if they need to, but if they invite you into the play, then we can reassure them and we can show them that, that everything's going to be okay. Well, I mean, what would you recommend? So again, like we had addressed, it could be very startling for a parent whose kid, you know, wants them to play with them. And then the first thing that they say is, my baby doll died. As a parent, how do you react? Because I mean, it could go so many different ways, but what's the most constructive way do you think to react in that situation? I think there are a couple different approaches. If something like that happens and your child looks distressed, then I think it's really important to respond to that emotion in a very reassuring way to say, you look really sad. I can see how sad you are. I think it's important for you to know that we can take care of your baby doll and we can help her feel better. Or you might say, I wonder what you're hearing about people being sick right now. Are you, are you worried about that? But if the child's affect is lighter, you know, if they really are having fun and they're playing around with these different ideas, then I think it's okay for the parent to just respond within the child's play scenario mm-hmm. to just say, oh, I see your baby doll is, is lying there and what happens next? And just kind of see where it goes. So I think there are a couple of different directions that that can go. And you don't necessarily have to jump in right away and reassure them that everything's going to be okay you can kind of let it play out a little bit and see how your child's doing. That's hard to do, though. It is very hard. uh, And I think depending on the age range, it can be helpful if you either ask them kind of what do you think will happen next? Or in the case of my niece, she's at the age where she likes to just automatically tell you how you're going to play. And that's kind of an easy out because if you're a parent and you hear that and you know, you kind of freeze and aren't sure, then it's nice because they already have this idea. They have everything planned out of how they want you to play and they'll just tell you. <laughs> yeah. So asking a question, that's a really good strategy. What what do you think is going to happen next? Or, oh my goodness, what's going on here? You know, just an open-ended question. And then the child is still, you know, in the driver's seat, figuring out what's going to happen next. Exactly, exactly. And I, I also really like how you, if the child looks distressed, how you mentioned even asking how they're feeling, because they're already kind of opening that door to you of inviting you to play. So their guard is down a little bit. And so they might be much more willing and at a space to, to share and, you know, share things that they probably didn't really think about because how they think about things is through play. Yeah. And one of the things that teachers do frequently at school, at least teachers I know, is they'll use toys and puppets to talk to children about hard things. So if your child isn't already pretending or playing in ways that give you a window into what they're thinking and feeling, I think a parent could pick up a doll or pick up a puppet and say to the child, using the the voice of the puppet or the voice of the doll to say, how, how are you doing today? Or if the child doesn't feel like playing, they're kind of lying on the couch to bring the little puppet over the doll over and say, oh, you look you look kind of sad today. What's going on? And then the child might be more likely to talk to the puppet or to talk to the doll than they would in an ordinary conversation. Mm -hmm. 
No, exactly. Well, we talked a lot about pretend play, but there are other forms of play, correct? So, you know, pretend is very imaginative based, but there's also construction play and well, construction play and then sensory play. But let's talk about construction play first. So what does that look like? What is that? Yeah. So when I talk about construction play, I'm usually talking about blocks and Legos and blocks typically are for younger children, wooden blocks, foam blocks, plastic blocks. And then once children are old enough to be able to manipulate the little interlocking pieces of Legos and Duplos, then they start to build with those typically. But you can also build with cardboard. You can build with cardboard boxes. You can build with sticks. You can build with rocks. Like there are all kinds of things that you can build with. One of my favorite things about construction play is how much facial reasoning children use when they're playing with blocks. They're figuring out how if you want to put a roof over your building, you have to have the walls kind of symmetrical or at the same height so you can hold that roof up. Like that's really hard actually to put a roof on something um, when you're using these little construction pieces. So there's a lot of problem solving. There's a lot of computational thinking. So during this time where children are learning at home, I think construction play is a really wonderful tool um, for teaching these kinds of mathematical skills. And the children aren't even aware that they're learning most of the time, but they're, they're gaining a lot from those experiences. You know, with construction play, there's a lot more involved with it if you want to build blocks or actually use construction paper. So there's more time that the kid is spending in that play. There's a lot more aspects to it. So for that side, the parents, it, it is encouraged. Yeah, because I'm, I'm hearing a lot from parents who say my child finished their school assignment really quickly, and now I don't know how to keep them busy. And the thing about construction play is it's different every time. So you're not following a formula. And it's so it's super creative. And usually it takes a little while to figure out what to build or how to build it. It tends to be a longer term kind of project. I also hear from parents who say that they're concerned about screen time. Like, how can I, what can I encourage my child to do as an alternative to um, a digital game or screen time activity? And one of the best pieces of advice I've heard, this just wasn't my own original idea, but I, I've heard it from other educators, is to have a family rule where before you play your digital games on the tablet, you have to play with blocks for 15 minutes or you have to play with Legos for 15 minutes. Oh, I love that. And often that 15 minutes will turn into 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. And you know, the child has spent a, a really long time building something really cool. Oh, that's a great way to encourage them to, to play constructively. I mean, are there any other tips to encourage construction play? That's a great one. But I think because it's so important and because a lot of play is being done indoors right now and parents are having to get very creative, is there any other way that they can encourage their child to play? I think one of the obstacles to construction play is that it takes up space. So you need space on the floor or you need space on a tabletop to spread out the Legos or just spread out the blocks or the cardboard. So being a little bit intentional about providing a space for your child to, to do a construction project that's out of the way, that's on the side of the room so you're not stepping on those Legos. Mm -hmm. And to be able to leave that up for a little while, like maybe even leave it up for a day so they can keep adding to it and coming back to it. So if, if that's possible, that really does help. And I always want to put in an extra plug for girls mm -hmm. to be encouraged to do construction play because even in this day and age, 
unfortunately, sometimes there's a misconception or a stereotype that block play is for boys and Lego play is for boys and it's really for everybody. So setting aside the space and time for block and construction play for boys and girls, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. I I agree. And And just taking from my own experience, some of my fondest memories of play are around blocks or Legos because, you know, it was a competition between my sisters of who could build the coolest house or the highest tower. And and it was a lot of fun. And even my niece, um, she loves Legos. It's, It's hilarious how much she loves Legos, but she's constantly enjoying building. And the great thing about Legos is you actually want to tear it apart and remake it and then even remake it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So there's so much creative space to it. Yeah. Yeah. I love Legos and I'm not really putting in a plug for that specific product, but there's almost like a culture around Lego play or that type of construction play. There's so many really interesting things you can find online of inspiration for different kinds of projects where children are learning or they're learning even about architecture and history. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do once you get really into it. What I saw actually goes into the next topic of sensory play. But one thing I saw is perfect for bath time because it involves shaving cream and a little bit of food coloring. Mm. Essentially, if your child hates getting into the tub, what you can have them do is encourage them to create their own masterpiece on the side of the tub with their shaving cream and then the food coloring and make little pictures and just wash right off. Nothing stains or anything. Yeah, that's a really great creative project. Perfect. <laughs> so that kind of sensory play with the with the soft um, shaving cream with the with the water that kind of play is really important especially for the little ones because it's soothing because it's open-ended they're learning a lot of science too of course they're learning about volume and when they're pouring from one container to another there's the mechanics and the physics of it all and outdoors you mentioned outdoor play early on in this conversation. So the sand and the mud and, you know, making mud pies and all that, Mm -hmm. that's really important too. It is. It sounds messy and gross. And I can understand as a parent, your kind of apprehension to have your child do that, but it's so much fun. And I have, we have this photo of me when I was, I don't know, five, four or five on the top of our slide. And I have this giant mud pie. (laughs) And of course it's like oozing from my fingers, but I have the biggest smile on my face because it's so much fun. I mean, as a kid, it feels so cool and you actually enjoy that squishiness. And then there are things that you can make in it. And with the mud too, then you're seeing it transition from mud into some hard, more dense material. So there's a lot of science there too. And you don't even know about it. Yeah. When my daughter was a little girl, one of my favorite things as a mom to do with her was to make our own Play-Doh. And we had a recipe that was, flour and salt. So with homemade Play-Doh, usually there's a lot of salt in it. And then cream of tartar, which not everybody has at home, but it's it's like a preservative. But if you don't have cream of tartar, you can kind of make a paste out of water and flour. But sometimes we would mix in some food coloring. One of my favorite things was to mix in a little, like a little peppermint essential oil. And it smelled really good. Mm -hmm. I've heard of people putting like powdered Kool-Aid mixes Mm. in their homemade Play-Doh and that makes it super colorful and also makes it smell good. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so there are all kinds of great recipes for playing with Play-Doh at home. Yeah, and I I also remember Play-Doh was great because as um, a large 
family, we had a lot of random toys, Barbies, action figures, and you don't want to spend a lot of money on all these little tiny things that go like accessories. So we would make them out of Play-Doh. Well, I guess it was Play-Doh and clay. If we wanted to keep them, we would make them out of clay that you could bake. Um, Especially with the Barbies, we would make tons of food. We would make bowls and cutlery, and then we would bake them and we would have them. And then it was just a very fun way for us to get into some of that construction and a blend of sensory play. But then it was something that we used forever and we saved money, obviously, because we didn't have to buy those little plastic trinkets. So it was a multi-use play tool. Yeah. And that's so creative too, when you're trying to figure out how can I make a little bowl or how can I make a little hat for my um, little toy? And you're thinking about scale, Mm -hmm. like if it's a really tiny toy, then you have to make a really tiny hat. And if it's a bigger toy, you have to make the hat a little bit bigger. So yeah, so that's a really great example of creative play. One more thing related to the sensory play, because I just remembered as we were talking, this great tip that I heard from a mom about her child who is struggling to sit still during the class Zoom meetings, Mm -hmm. you know, so with all this online learning, and we've got, you know, little kindergartners who need to sit (laughs) and um, sit in front of a screen during the time that their teachers are doing like a classroom meeting. And what this mom did is she gave her son a little ball of Play-Doh, a little ball of clay that the child could just kind of squish and knead it during the Zoom meeting. And that really helped him attend to what the teacher was saying. And I thought that was such a great example of sensory play that really supported that child's learning at that time. Oh, that's such a good idea. But I think one of the opportunities that we have right now with families being at home is we can play together in ways that we couldn't when everybody was off at work and off at school. So if you have board games at home, this would be a great time to take them out. Now, young children, if they're three or four, even five, board games are a little bit challenging for young children. Like the idea of having to wait your turn. <laughs> it's not a concept. <laughs> yeah. And just figuring out the rules of the game and, and all that, that can be a little bit tricky. If you don't have any board games at home, or if you don't like the board games that you have with younger children, so preschoolers, kindergarten, first grade, playing memory with cards is a really great game. And even if you don't have a set of memory cards. You can use an ordinary deck of cards and just have a a bunch of pairs, like a pair of ones, a pair of twos, a pair of kings, a pair of queens. Like put just the pairs together. So you have like the 26 cards and then mix them up and put them all face down. And then each player has a turn of turning over two cards and hopefully they match. If they match, you get to keep them. If they don't match, you turn them back over again. And then the idea is you have to remember where those cards were. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about playing memory with little kids is that they're usually better at it than the adults are. Oh, I (laughs) agree a (laughs) hundred percent. So they have a really good chance of winning because many of the little ones, they're just so, they're they're more visual learners usually than the adults are. I don't know. It's something about their younger, fresher brains. I used to play memory a lot with my mom and she hated playing with me because I would win so quickly. Yeah. And I never really got it because as a kid, I loved memory. I won, I showed her up. <laughs> and now, now that I have a niece, mm-hmm. I hate it too because she is so good. It always surprises you. I don't know what it is, but their memory is impeccable. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the older kids too, I would recommend Battleship. I think that's a very, it's a very fun game Mm -hmm. and it 
is a lot of critical thinking. And I'm thinking like fourth grade and up, a lot of kids really enjoy that. And there's a lot of challenges. And they also have to remember quite a bit too. I mean, they get to kind of put down the the pegs so they know what they've already asked, but there's a lot of strategic thinking there. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Pictionary when my daughter was little and growing up. And another family game that she enjoyed was Apples to Apples. Oh, that one's also fun. Well, I now I'm down on memory lane. I have so many memories coming up now of, of play. And, you know, I think it's, it's just so much a part of who you are as a human is play. And I think, you know, you're never too old to play. And I think everyone should play and young children especially need it though because of how playing allows them to learn and explore the world and so I think during this time of the pandemic it's even more crucial that kids are playing and we as parents and guardians are encouraging them to do so. Yeah I agree 100%. We need play now more than ever and it's a great way to connect as a family when you're all stuck at home together playing together so so maybe we should stop talking and just let everybody go play now i think that's a great idea okay <laughs> great Thanks for listening to today's episode of raising curious learners we hope you'll tune into our next episode this program is copyrighted by encyclopedia britannica incorporated all rights reserved